Hallelujah. Let's talk about learning to receive. Um, when you read your Bible, there, there's this thing that you see all these people that have these experiences with God. And uh, what's, what's very interesting is that, um, and this has always frustrated me, the Bible is not a how-to manual. And every once in a while, you know, pr there's preachers that come along and they're just excellent at the how-tos. And I, I marvel at them because I've never been that guy. But um, when, you, when you see people have encounters with God, it, in your mind, you're like, I want an encounter with God. And then you're like, but how does that happen? How in the world does that happen? And listen, I, if, there was, uh, if there was anybody who'd write and say, if you'll do these three things, you'll have an encounter with God. Would we do that? Would we do it? We would do it, right? We would do it. Um, but in a way, that's kind of like saying, uh, uh, how do I get a spouse? <laughs> in an American culture, you know, give me one, two, three so I can get married. And nobody can do that. The relational aspect is the, is the difficult aspect. And um, the computer world is making it even harder to learn how to receive because the computer world is um, so easy to access and, and, that, and the reception is, feels so easy and it feels authentic. This is why uh, all the time I have people that are either getting in relationships online that turn weird or they're getting scammed online and it turns weird because that kind of access is so easy. But what we need is how do we experience God? So have you ever wondered about Abraham? I mean, Abraham's amazing, but how did Abraham experience God? By the way, can you tell I got frustrated down there? <laughs> got a little frustrated. I'm, I'll, try to, I'll try to restrain myself a little bit. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> it's better for me to break out than that explode inside. <laughs> and and um, so Abraham, you know, Abraham's the guy. He's the guy in the Bible for experiencing God. Abraham's the dude. Abraham experienced God. And how did that happen? Because as far as we can tell, Abraham was a moon worshiper and a sun worshiper. In other words, he, he saw what he could see and he related to what he could see. And all through human history, humans have been like that. But also all through human history, there's been this yearning inside of people that have said, no, there's got to be more. I, what's behind that moon? What's behind that sun? And you, and, and you move in your mind from the seen to the unseen, from the, from the thing that is created or to, the, to the, the creator. And you, and you marvel and you wonder at these things and you yearn inside. And, and you say, there's, there's something that's caused. Is there an uncaused cause? Is there an uncreated existence? Is there the unseen seer? And, and you wonder at those things. And so I think the first thing that happens inside of anybody who learns how to receive is a, a yearning and a, and a holy imagination and, and a, a, great, a great and deep desire. So when I see somebody who, you know, read the Bible and it seems like God gate crashes them. And you're like, I want to be gate crashed. 
And I'm going to suggest to you today that that's not what happened. I'm going to suggest to you today that, that God responds to the people that are responding with that yearning to know. Um, in other words, the questions that you have, that's where God meets you. And he doesn't meet you with the informational answer. He meets you with the personal dynamic. This is how he comes. And so I'm in the world of Holy Spirit renewal. And all the time in this world of Holy Spirit renewal, there are people who want to receive and, and can't receive. In other words, somebody sees somebody speak in tongues and they're like, I want to speak in tongues. Somebody hears somebody prophesy, I want to prophesy. Somebody sees somebody overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit and they're like, I, I want that. And you, and, you, and you don't know how that happens. And so you start getting in line and nothing happens to you. You start receiving prayer, nothing happens to you. You start crying out and nothing happens to you. And that, and that feeling of rejection and that orphan feeling just grows and grows and grows. My last encounter at, at, at Global Awakening, this week I was there teaching first and second year, was, uh, was doing what we call the impartation service where we, where we lay hands on everybody and pray for them. And the one lady, well, boy, I could feel the hunger in her and I prayed for her early. Nothing, nothing visibly happened and then moved on, prayed for the rest of them. And the room is full of people that have experienced God. And so it's kind of like once you've experienced God, you're like, I know how to get there. And uh, I sat down when I was finished. I was just tired and sat down and that lady was standing over me. And she said, I don't know how to receive. And so I did something very simple. I said, give me your hand. I said, you feel that? You just received. That's the path. Okay, now you say you frustrated her. Yes. Because listen, uh, <laughs> none of us can cause God to happen. So let's learn to receive this morning. Let's talk about it. And uh, I have a number of scriptures for you. We'll go quickly. John 1, true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own people, and they did not receive him. So this is not the problem of being unable to receive. This is the problem of being unable to receive because you're unwilling to receive. But to all who did receive him, that is, who believed on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And they were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Now, th this passage is packed with all kinds of stuff, but I just want to focus on that. He came to his own and they did not receive him. Now, listen, when Jesus came, he came and, and he, did, he did crazy things. Like, I love the fact that in John, that first miracle is the wedding and, and he made the booze. I know that was uncalled for, but, but he made the wine and, and the wine pointed beyond the wine. 
The wine pointed to the spirit, if you don't know. The wine pointed toward the life of God being given to people. Now, then Jesus is out and he begins calling people. And it's very interesting. It's very interesting. You would say again, God gate crashed the, the apostles. No, he didn't. Some weird dude that was saying weird things and doing unusual works went and said, hey, give up everything you got and come follow me. Are you kidding? That's not a gate crashing. That's a, that's a moment of time when you have to measure what you have against what is being offered. And you got to risk what you have to get what you don't have. It's a moment of a man who steps into the story that's part of the story of your life because they were living with the belief of one who would come. They were living with the belief in it, but they saw him as a royalty. They certainly didn't see him as a seemingly kind of a ordinary rabbi. Some people would call him a peasant preacher. I don't actually think he was that poor in the, in the, in the normal sense. I don't think he appeared as, a, as the normal kind of poor person, but he had made himself poor. I could be wrong. But he came to them and he was right there. And in their case, it was not a responding to the unseen cause. In their case, it was a responding to the, the one who is before them who doesn't seem to fit the narrative of what we're looking for. But there's something about him that makes me want to say yes. Now I wonder, we also get the idea that everybody he called came. We don't know that. We don't know. We know that he spent a long time praying to, 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 to call them. We know that he selected them very carefully. But look at what they were, man. They were, they were people who had owned their own business. They were, they were people who had a, 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 a system in the government, had a job in the government. <laughs> they were people who, they were people who um, were, there, there was an earnest seeker in the crowd. There was one that was sitting under the vine, under the fig tree, meditating on, on the law. <laughs> They, they, were, they, were, they were guys who inside of them was, let's get a cache of guns so we're ready for the apocalypse. They were some of those guys. And he went and he called them and they received him. But the people you would expect to receive him didn't receive him. Hard to receive? You have to have, so... The, the first thing is you have to have a yearning inside of you to receive that is greater than the risk it's going to take for you. So for, so for example, uh, I wanted to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And Pentecostals always said, well, if you get filled with the Spirit, you're going to speak in tongues. I never actually believed that that was the threshold. I still don't. But it, was, but it was a mark, a sign. It certainly was a sign that the Spirit had come on them at Pentecost. It certainly was a sign that the Spirit had come on the Gentiles. And so I was like, I, I knew the Holy Spirit was in me, but I knew that there was something being talked about that I didn't have, and I was yearning for it. And so I used to pray, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I would cry out and pray, seek and long for it. And then I would watch people who said they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and I didn't like them very much. I didn't like the way they acted. I didn't like the way, the, the way they carried on. I didn't like it. I didn't like all that falling down. I didn't like it. I didn't, 
I was, you know, I had all these things that were going on inside of me. And Jesus comes to a people whose minds are fixed. They're in the word. They're fixed on the word. They're, they're immersed in the word. And they see him and go, well, I don't know what God's doing, but that ain't what God's doing. And so they did not receive him. It takes faith to receive. Now, what is faith? Faith is eyes that see the unseen. Faith is the capacity to see beyond the caused to the uncaused. Faith means a revelation has come to you that, that is more than empirical information. And so he came to his own, his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him. And then it qualifies it. That is the ones who believed in his name. He gave something to them. He gave them the right to become the children of God. And when they received that right, they were born. Look at that text, verse 13. Who were born, leave out the next segment that's in, in, the, in the commas. Just leave out the commas. Who were born of God. Meaning, the unseen one gave them a birth of unseen life. This is why I'm always telling people when they say, can you prove God? I'm like, I'm all the proof you get. And I love to frustrate people that way. Listen, I love frustration in people over spiritual things because it's that frustration that creates that yearning. It's that yearning that draws the heart of God and, and God will answer. It's impossible to seek and not find. You say, I've been seeking a long time. Then keep on because it's impossible. You will find. Jesus said so. <laughs> he said so. But what we know is in the way. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. They didn't expect that. We've seen his glory as the only son from the father full of grace and truth. John told us about him. This is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And then uh, what John also said, if you if said that, he, he said, this is the one that will baptize you in the spirit. He says it this way here, from his fullness, we've all received grace on grace. Love that text. To be a believer is to be, be, to be receiving the fullness of God. Grace on grace. You don't have grace for this moment yet. You've never been here before. You're getting it as you're here. You're getting the grace for where you are as you're in the pressure of the moment. Or as my friend Errol says, there's no grace for what if. There's only grace for what is. Well, the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God. The only God who is the, uh, at the Father's side, he has made him known. But I'm going further. And I'm telling you, when God moves among his people, he generally does it in a way that so compromises the ordinary means that the people who have received 
have difficulty receiving what God is bringing because of what they have. And so I would pray, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I'd rather not speak in tongues. Because for me, the gift of tongues would compromise my position. And it did. It would, and it did. And Gail knew it well. I was joking about how when I got filled with the Spirit, she said she hated me. That was why. It so ruined the norm that it meant insecurity. Come on, guys, leave your boats. Come on, Matthew, leave your, leave your government job. That's where it hits. That's where it hits. Why is it hard to receive? Because you like what you got. It's part of the reason sometimes. You say you're victim blaming. Get over it. We want to know what's wrong with us. Then we ask and somebody tells us and you say you're, you're victim blaming. No, I'm giving you some instruction on how to get where you haven't got. If you're driving your car. You're lost. You stop and say, I'm lost. Somebody says, well, you're just stupid. No, they don't say that. They tell you how to get where you're going. Are they victim blaming? No, they're helping you get what you ain't got because you're dumb and don't have it. Because you don't know where you are because you've never been here before. So somebody says, you want to go where you haven't gone. What you have is keeping you from going where God wants you to go. And so it offends us. It hurts us. And the pressure of that moment is good parenting on God's part. To put us in the place of discomfort, to move us to the place where he wants to take us. And this is how our father is. And then in John 3, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the poster child for what I have is in the way of what I don't have. I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. And then he says, that which is flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't, be, don't marvel that I said you have to be born again. And then here's how Jesus explains being born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. Well, that explains everything, doesn't it? I mean, like, you're like, oh, yeah, well, I don't know why I didn't think of that. He says, well, that's what it's like for somebody who's born of the Spirit. What's what it's like? The wind is blowing you. An uncaused cause that you can't control or see is pushing you along. And it's the wind. And it's just so beautiful to me that the wind in this passage is exactly the same Greek word as the spirit in this passage. They're the same word. He's doing a play on words because because it's, even though Greek has lots of words for some things, it only has, it, some, of the, some of the words mean two or three things, like they do in English. And you have to go, what's he talking about? And I love Nicodemus saying, how can this be? And I love Jesus saying, I thought you were a teacher. <laughs> you need to go back to first grade. He says, really, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? And then he gives him another oblique saying, truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness 
to what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. Hmm. Now, now get this. Nicodemus is an earnest seeker. He's a true, bona fide, real thing seeker. He wants to receive. But all the stuff that he knows is blocking the stuff he doesn't know. And Jesus is even telling him, you already know what you don't know. You just don't know it. He says, wait a minute, dude. If I tell you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And, and you're even like, Pastor, what are you saying? God comes to us in earthly things all the time. Very specifically, why do we gather around a piece of bread and a cup? Why? Because here's a tangible thing and Jesus says to us, I'm going to convey myself to you by your eating because eating is an act of receiving. And if you can get it, what's happening, then you can get beyond the bread and beyond the cup to receiving me. Or as the hymn writer would say about the Bible, beyond the sacred page, we seek thee, Lord. We have to find you. We have to know you. And so, yes, even me as a born-again person who knew the Lord, I said, I found out there was more, 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 more that God wanted. But I was all offended every time I looked at the more, and I still am. And most of the Christian world is offended every time they see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they have a hard time receiving it. And listen, I liken the coming of the Spirit to a flood or a fire. It destroys the order of everything the way it is, but the idea is to rebuild new again. I love to read about the people in Paradise, California. We're going to build again, and it'll be better. It'll be more glorious. I love the fact that I'm, I, we have, a, we have a, far, a family member who's a farmer, and the floods are always coming. No matter how many levees they build, no matter how many things they build, the floods find their ways to breach the levees and breach the man-made blockades and bring the flood and as much as they hate the flood in the moment, every farmer knows the flood is renewing the ground and bringing forth a richness from the ground that can't happen without the flood. And we in the spirit can't learn heavenly things from these earthly things, but we should. We should learn that God moves and blows his spirit. And we can't learn it because we, there's a verse over there in the scripture in 1 Corinthians that says, let everything be done decently and in order. And there's one denomination that says decently and in order. And there's another denomination that says, let everything be done. <laughs> and I'm all in that argument, man. I'm all in that. And, and listen, understand this. Does anybody think the day of Pentecost was decently and in order? No, it was God bringing a flood on humanity because he was doing a new thing. Because the son of God is now seated on the throne and the power of the son of God is being released on the children of God. And then sometimes we receive it and all that was happening at Corinth is they were stewarding it so badly that it was a blockage. And you do have to care about that. But there's a dance that we dance between chaos and order, between chaos and order. And we live in the place of meaning at the intersection of chaos and order 
order. If you get too much order, you'll lose all the life. If you get too much chaos, you'll compromise the, pe- the ability of people to get in on it. And it's a, it's a tension that we feel all the time. Let us feel it. But I'm telling you, you need to understand that this is a place that's praying for, crying for, longing for the flood. Because the flood brings a new order. And I've been watching this for years now and I've been studying revival enough to see when, when the flood comes, new order comes. Now you say, you can't cause the flood. No, but here's what you can do. And here's what mama did today when she got up. She said, we can do, take what we have and listen, you stir the thing up again. Timothy, you need to stir up the gift of God that's in you by the laying on of hands. Because by, by it, you listen, he says, by those words, you're going to war a good warfare. And I'm at war. Maybe you can tell. I'm at war. I'm at war with the present order. I'm at war with the present order in my own life. I ain't going to go silently into the night. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stir ourselves up and we're going to stir up everything we can stir up. All right? Now, listen. You say, well, and I'm going to tell you something. We don't actually need a flood. All we need to do is stir what we got. So that mama's in a public place and she's stirred. So she interrupts a dude at his workstation. Because she has something to say to him that he might not get now. But it will put something in him. Because somebody, every one of you who have a God story, you have a story of somebody who said something to you that didn't take, that didn't grow that day. But you never could get away from that word. And there's a yearning in you. There's a yearning in you. I love the fact that that beautiful Sweet lady was standing beside me with her yearning to receive and her difficulty receiving. And I did an earthly thing to get her to receive. I simply touched her hand and said, there's a connection. Start there. And God did this. He said, eat food, drink the cup. I'm connecting with you. He also said one other thing, breathe. Let's look at Mama Heidi for a minute. And step right on his feet. Oh, there was another time I got a, a message similar to this one that annoyed just about as many people. I know, whoa, because there was a, an apostle sitting in the front row. He was very, 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 very angry. And I never forgot it because, hey, much like this message, and it is a message. (laughs) I said, too big, too small, too big. Too small, too big, too small. For about half an hour. (laughs) Holy, and then I went down to that man 
famous man. I didn't know, I promise you, I didn't know, I didn't know. I didn't know who he was, I didn't know how famous he was, I just didn't know I was too snobbered. All I knew was too big, too small, too big, too small, too big, too small. I sang it, I yelled it, I cried it, I lived it. Then I crawled down and I put my hand on that man's head. Too big, too small, too big, too small. He had tried to get out of there about an hour before and he told his wife that he didn't want to be in a meeting with a crazy woman. The only problem was he couldn't move out of his seat because God stuck him there. And he tried with all his might to get up and he tried and he asked his wife to help him and she tried and they tried together to get out of the seats, especially effort, really huge effort when the man with terror in his eyes saw me coming towards him. No, 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 he thought. No, 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 he said. And there I came, too big. Too small, too big, too small. Wow! Till he collapsed on his face. And God said, Did you get it? 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 We're very good friends now. <laughs> I've done a few stadium meetings with that man. Okay, that's what I mean. What you have is in the way of what you're after. What you know is in the way. Listen, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I did academics. I did postgraduate degrees. I did research. And, all, and it, gave me enough, it gave me enough clues that I could follow the crumb trail. But nothing does it until the power of God reaches you. He's after you. He's after you. So sometimes you can't receive because the mind's in the way of the heart and because what you have compromises what you're after. And then sometimes you can't receive because you're offended. I always tell everybody I'm the most offendable person on the planet. So you, Paul said he was the chief of sinners. I'm the, I'm, I'm the most, I'm, the, I'm just mad at everybody. I tell everybody, I'm not prejudiced. I hate everybody. <laughs> I hope I make a little fun of myself here. But Jesus says this, John came not eating or drinking and they said he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, he's a glutton and a drunkard. A friends of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by our deeds. Now this means simply they said, they examined us and on the basis of examination, they eliminated us. That guy can't be God, he's too weird. That guy can't be God, he's too free. That can't be from God, that can't be from God, and we do this all the time. We do this all the time. And God constantly takes a lame horse and rides it so that he can get the glory, not the horse. (laughs) 
And, and being offended, man, that shuts you down. Being offended shuts you down. Being offended shuts you down. Being offended causes you to go away. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're an apostle. I don't care if you're a prophet. I don't care if you're Abraham. I don't care who you are. When your heart gets offended, oh, man. So you go too big, too small, and closed. <laughs> shut down, shut down, shut down, shut down, shut down. And so listen, I'm like, I'm the guy that would sit and watch Benny Hinn. Yeah, man, my secret sin was staying up at night late and watching Benny Hinn. And my wife would, my wife would come in and say, she would sometimes wake up and say, come to, what are you doing that again? And, and Benny would start to minister, and I would get, like, real close to the TV and look. <laughs> and he had the worst hair. He had Donald Trump hair. <laughs> he had that, you know, that thing that you got a little hair over here, so you just sweep it all the way over and... <laughs> Can't receive from a dude with bad hair. Matthew 11, that's also Matthew 11, we just read. He goes further. At that time, Jesus declared, thank you, Father, Lord of heaven. You've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Did you notice one of the, one of the offensive things about Heidi Baker is that she's a lettered PhD and she acts like a crazy woman. Whoa, Shabba! <laughs> and she talks like a child. I'm like, please just talk like a grown up one time. Or, or, or God forbid, Rollin comes in with that Tigger anointing that he does. If you don't know what that is, just stay clear. <laughs> All things have been handed over to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father. and No one knows the father except the son. Are you kidding me? I want to get in on that. And he says, and anyone whom the son chooses to reveal him. Hallelujah. Jesus is the curtain and we look behind him and it's real. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. Learn from me. I'm gentle, lowly in heart. You'll find rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Childlike heart. Childlike heart. How to receive? Childlike heart. Too big, too small, too closed, too offended. To adult. Hard to receive. Hard to receive. Hard to receive. And yet, no matter what I'm saying, at the end of this, it's not a desire to blame you, but a desire to say, you keep pressing, you keep pressing until you get what you're after. 
the beauty is I can't answer all the questions, but I can tell you that he's not hiding except in plain sight. Ever lost something and it's right in front of you? I lost this thing this morning. Here's a more childlikeness for you. And he says, I'll take your stony heart of unbelief and I'll put a new heart within you and place my spirit within you too. And so everything changes. He says, I'll become a well of living water gushing forth from within you and that well of living water gets out everything else. And the new birth experience is real. Sure is. <laughs> the most real thing in the world. He's really, really real. <laughs> That's college students in the 1970s, 1960s and 1970s. That's Catherine Coleman and Lonnie Frisbee. And I look at that and I go, they're so goofy. And some of you so beautifully get in on that so easily. And I, and I, and I get in on that so with so much difficulty. Hey guys, are you ready for this? What if Kanye West is the new move of God? <laughs> hey, listen, I've already judged it, examined it, rejected it, said why it can't be. And then I, and God said, I'm gonna have you preach a sermon that allows it. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. What if Kanye West is the new thing that God uses to reach a generation that's unreached and a people that are unreached? My daughter said, what do you think about Kanye West? And I said, I don't care. And, I, I, you know, and then I defended it with great vigor. And then God met me in a secret place and said, You're still up. Yeah, God talks to me that way. <laughs> a hard, old, crusty idiot. Otherwise known as not a donkey or a horse. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them saying, let the children come. Don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Maybe this is a hint to why the young are always the ones who receive the revival. They haven't been jaded yet. Maybe that's the answer. So, in order to receive, look at your pastor. He did a how-to. <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> Resolve to, to, to seek God with all your heart. Remove the offenses with diligence and determination. And return to a childlike heart. He not only did... He not only did little how-to one, two, threes, which he didn't number because that would have been a bridge too far. <laughs> but he alliterated just to prove that he's a Baptist down deep inside. <laughs> and now I'll finish. But it never finishes. 
I'm telling you, God has illuminated me on a single point that I can't get away from lately. And it's the word spirit. And it's the revelation in the scripture and in language that the word spirit is also the word for breath, both in Hebrew and Greek. I just can't get away from this. I'm just obsessed with this. So when God breathed his breath into Adam, God breathed his spirit into Adam. You could say, Adam was alive by the life of God. And when death came to Adam and death came to the human race and death reigned throughout us all, God sent forth his son tangibly, physically, bodily, and one with breath inside of him. And the one with breath inside of him met his disciples after his You remember he's on the cross and he expires his breath and his breath is gone, but his life wasn't gone. And he comes back from the dead and he breathes his life, his resurrection life, the life like Adam received, the life that's uncreated. He breathed it into his disciples. He said, receive the spirit and he breathed on them. And then the day of Pentecost came. And the day of Pentecost, if you don't understand it, is Ezekiel 37. It is Ezekiel 37. It's the day when a dead nation became a living army. With the breath of God poured into them. And the prophet saying, the apostle saying, this is that which Joel told you about. And so I'm like, Lord, it's so hard for some of us to receive. And the Lord said... Breathe. Would you stand? Breathe. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember Abraham? Don't miss this, folks. Remember Abraham? Abraham's the guy who looked up and saw the moon and saw the sun and said, those were our gods. But he's the guy that deep inside of him, he said, it's not possible that those could be our gods. There has to be something behind. And the God who created the sun and the moon spoke to Abraham and he said this, hey, Abraham, do you see the stars? They're your children. (laughs) They're your children. The uncreated one is going to take the thing you see and turn it into something you can't see. And Abraham went to the land that God promised him. And if I read my Bible right, he looked around and said, this is not what God promised me. For he was looking for a city with foundations whose builder and maker was God. And he saw us. I was there. You were there. Now God wants to fill his church with life. It's as simple as the tangible thing of breathing. And just like you eat the bread and drink the cup and you're receiving Jesus, you breathe. And by an act of faith, you're receiving Holy Spirit. Be filled, church. Be filled again. A river. Be filled in Jesus' name.